Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. HomeThreads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets, to snuggle under for family movie nights, or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com slash parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com slash parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Hello everyone and welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin royer Azerland. As I mentioned at the end of the last episode, Today's topic is one that I get asked about at least once a week, but many times it's much more frequently, and that is around sleep and bedtime issues. I got four separate questions just last week around this topic, so I knew I needed to get it onto the schedule. Kids need their sleep and parents need their alone time, so solid bedtimes and nighttimes are important for everyone. I'll talk about when new parents can expect newborns to sleep through the night, and some tips on setting up for easier success in making the transition to sleeping through the night. But babies aren't the only ones that parents can struggle with at bedtimes. Toddlers are famous for repeatedly getting out of bed at bedtime. And dare I say kids into the elementary school years if the boundaries haven't been set clearly. So I'll also cover some great bedtime tips for babies, toddlers, and beyond. This was a big pain point with our first child. He arrived in the world very alert, with no clue how to sleep, unless he was snuggled up on your chest, which we allowed him to do all day long, until we were ready to fall over from exhaustion at four months of age, and I was getting ready to go back to work. Our pediatrician kept assuring us that his sleep would stretch out, but it didn't. It actually just kept getting worse. When I took him for his four-month appointment, I literally remember the doctor turning him over and over like he was some malfunctioning mechanical toy and he was looking for the off button. He said, he appears to be very normal and healthy. I have no idea why he's not sleeping. This kid was literally sleeping no longer than 40 minutes to an hour each night for his longest sleep period and then waking every 20 to 40 minutes throughout the night after that. 
it was torture. So if you're dealing with this, I feel for you and I can share what I learned. I'm hoping to save others many sleepless nights. If you have a toddler who is constantly getting out of bed, then stay tuned because after I share my infant tips, I'll get to the toddler tips next. So let's start with some really helpful background information, starting with understanding the term pediatricians and development experts call the fourth trimester. This is the first three months after birth when baby is transitioning from the womb to the world. When inside the womb, baby has constant feeding, warmth, and closeness. So this transition to a bright, loud world can be difficult for some babies. This is the time when you learn about your baby's propensity for sleep. Some babies are natural sleepers, while others will fight sleep at every turn. We call these babies signalers because they are easily signaled or stimulated by the world. The biggest difference between these two types of babies is the difficulty for the parents. During these first three months, do whatever you need to do to get your baby to sleep. Rocking, feeding, comforting. But by the time baby is 12 weeks old and at least 12 pounds, he or she is ready to learn how to sleep. At this age, most infants can sleep 11 to 12 hour stretch at night and two naps of an hour or more during the day. So how much sleep do babies need? From zero to three months, babies need 16 to 18 hours a day, but it is very scattered. They are unaware of day and night, and around six weeks, most babies will begin to develop those diurnal, nocturnal sleep patterns, stretching out their sleep at night and being more awake during the day. From three to 12 months, babies need 12 and a half to 14 hours of sleep in any 24 hour period. Three to six months, many babies are able to nap on a schedule, but for some, it can be seven or even nine months before they get really good at that napping schedule. It can also be helpful to understand the difference between a sleep issue and a sleep problem. A sleep issue is an underlying physiological issue, and these are very rare in children. These are things like snoring, apnea, kicking, restlessness throughout the night, rocking themselves to sleep or head banging, or difficulty waking after a full night's sleep. But for babies, things like acid reflux and colic can obviously affect the ability to fall or stay asleep. The signs for colic is fussiness and crying all day, every day, not just in the evening, bedtimes, or during night wakings. Acid reflux also affects babies on and off throughout the day and night. So if you're seeing a lot of fussiness all day or in spurts throughout the day, that's when you'd want to have your baby checked to rule these things in or out. Whereas a sleep problem is behavioral, which means it can be addressed. These are things such as frequent night wakings. I'll share more about this so that you can set up positive habits early or recognize them and fix them if you're already setting up some bad habits and avoid sleep problems that some parents deal with well into toddlerhood and even into childhood. So now I'll discuss the ways to lay the foundation for positive sleep habits, starting with some important bedtime guidelines, setting up good sleep associations and bedtime routines. And I'll cover the latest research about kids, sleep, and bedtime methods. So now I'm gonna share some bedtime guidelines. And before the end of the fourth trimester or three months of age, try putting your baby down sleepy but awake. I would start trying to do this around eight weeks to two months of age. But if he or she won't have it, it's okay to feed or rock to sleep up to that third month of age. 
Now for all babies, one hour before bedtime, no rough or stimulating play and no screen time. This includes phones, iPads, TVs, or computers. The light and movement from these devices are very stimulating and make it hard for kids' brains to settle down for sleep. And actually, the American Academy of Pediatrics, as well as several other very reputable sources, strongly recommend no screen time at all for children under age two anyway. If you're interested in learning more about this, be sure to check out the class on kids and media on the website, yourvillageonline.com. And I also discussed it in a previous podcast episode, so you can look back through those. Another guideline is to be sure to watch for signs of tiredness, which include losing interest in people and toys, glazed look, fussiness, excessive eye rubbing, or yawning. If you see these signs, it's important that you put baby to bed. This will most likely mean an early bedtime, around 7 to 7.30, or else you risk making baby overtired. An overtired baby can have a difficult time falling and staying asleep, and therefore can suffer from sleep deprivation, which makes it even harder for your baby to fall and stay asleep through the night. So this is a good time to share one of the questions I got last week, as my next couple of points will answer her question. Nancy from Everett, Washington, who has a six-month-old, asks, My baby only sleeps while being nursed, especially at night. He'll be completely asleep, and the moment I try to unlatch, he freaks out. Sometimes I can unlatch and he'll stay asleep, but once I lay him down, he wakes up, starts crying, and searching for the nipple. So what you have going on here, Nancy, is what we call a sleep association problem. A sleep association is just what it sounds like. It's whatever we associate with falling asleep. Our baby's sleep associations can fall into two categories. Those things that require the intervention of another, such as the breast, the bottle, a car ride, rocking, the swing, or self-inducing, which are things like the crib, the swaddle, the music, the white noise, maybe a pacifier, his room, or the darkness. Right now, your baby is associating breastfeeding with falling asleep, which puts a rather large burden on you. Your baby now has become reliant on breastfeeding in order to fall asleep. It may or may not be a big deal at bedtimes because you're already awake and you're there, but because everyone rouses in the middle of the night, so it may become a pretty big issue during those middle of the night wakings because he now needs your breast to fall back to sleep rather than being able to just sort of roll over and go back to sleep on his own. For a baby whose sleep association is his room, crib, or the white noise or whatever, he'll just roll back over and fall asleep without needing your intervention. But for your baby who relies on the breast to fall asleep, that means you, and only you, can help him, and it gets downright exhausting, especially if you have a frequent waker, which sounds like you do. At six months, your baby is more than capable and ready to sleep 11 to 12 hours straight at night. So you'll want to work on switching over that sleep association to something else. The first step in this is setting up a solid bedtime routine. In order for the routine to be effective, you'll want to make sure it is at the same time, in the same order, and the same place every night. This consistency is what builds the healthy sleep associations and habits. Make sure the last 10 to 15 minutes of the routine are in the baby's room. The routine may go something like this. You may do bath, feed, PJs, sing a song, and put your baby down to bed. Or feed, PJs, rock, songs, put your baby down to bed. Whatever you do, just make sure the feeding is early in the routine because you don't want your baby to associate feeding with falling asleep. 
For those who have not yet entered this stage or are just starting, learn from myself and Nancy and our lack of sleep for months. This makes the child dependent on the parent to fall asleep, both at bedtime and even more annoyingly, in the middle of the night. So set up those solid sleep associations that don't require your intervention and make sure you feed early in the routine rather than at the end. Now, for Nancy or anyone else who is dealing with what she's dealing with, this switcheroo you're going to try and pull, yeah, probably not going to go over well. So you will probably need to choose a sleep training method. I cover four different ones in my class on the website, so there's something for everyone. And for those who associate sleep training with crying and can't bear the thought of it, not all sleep training methods require a baby to cry. But I also feel it's important to share what research has to say about sleep training, as I'm all about the research. That's the master's degree in me talking. So here is some of the latest research around sleep in infants. The American Academy of Pediatrics has linked babies' frequent night wakings to an increase in incidences of postpartum depression, an increase in future obesity, behavior, and cognitive problems in kids. This means babies who wake frequently have higher chance of having those issues once they are older in preschool and elementary. Mark Weisbluth, MD, the author of Healthy Sleep Habits, Healthy Child, explains children who don't get enough consolidated REM sleep have shorter attention spans, so they don't learn as well. These babies also release more of the stress hormone cortisol, setting them up for frequent night wakings and stunted naps, which perpetuates the poor sleep cycle. Then a six-year study on sleep training completed in Australia in 2012. Hello, Australia. We actually have uh, quite a few listeners in Australia, so I'm sharing some research from that neck of the woods in the world, and this is a great piece of research that's fairly recent. So in this study, there were three groups, two study groups and a control group. So in the two study groups, there were two different sleep training methods. And then in the control group were the group where the baby was comforted to sleep. The initial study was done when the babies were four months old. They were then checked at 10 months and again at six years. The study found no difference in the children in the three groups in the areas of mental and behavioral health, sleep quality, stress levels, or their relationship with their parents, meaning their attachment. However, the study did find that parents who use a sleep training method get better sleep, suffer less emotional trauma, and experience lower rates of postpartum depression. So here I'm going to talk about getting ready to do the sleep training. First, talk to your pediatrician and make sure baby is big enough and healthy enough, gaining weight and eating as expected. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. 
air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep, and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T. P-U-R-O-A-I-R dot com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HIPAA 14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. If you're in a dual parent household, get on the same page as your partner. Decide together on the best method for your family and set up how you will divide the responsibility ahead of time. In our house, we just took turns going in and checking. And consider a developmental window, as these can make it easier or harder to sleep train. These are not set in stone as children develop in different ways and slightly different schedules, and you know your baby best. But just keep these general guidelines in mind as you plan the best time for your family to get started, and you can see where your child might be falling in these developmental stages. So under two to three months is too young. Your baby is not ready to go long stretches and may not yet have a good diurnal nocturnal clock set up. Three to four months tends to be a good time. Now four and a half to five and a half months is when many babies are relishing and getting reactions from parents with cooing and smiling and gurgling. So this can make it a more difficult time as they're turning on the charm, but still a very doable time. Six to eight months, is usually another very good window. However, around nine months, baby learns to stand up. Many times, baby will pull up in the crib and not be able to get back down. If your baby is not yet able to put him or herself to sleep, you're now dealing with a double issue. If there's any way to sleep train before nine months, I highly suggest getting it done. Then decide on a good day to start. 
a lot of parents like to start on Friday to give a good start over the weekend when neither parent has to go to work for a few days. Now, this is, of course, if you have the typical office nine to five Monday through Friday job, many parents work nights or, you know, work long shifts if you're a nurse or a police officer or any other type of job. So just decide on what time frame is going to work best in your family. If one or both of you can take a vacation from work, that's even better. But as long as it is after two months of age, if one of the parents is going to return to work from family leave, then try to do it during that leave if you can, as long as they're, of course, over two to three months of age. Now, this was the case with us as I returned to work when my oldest was four and a half months. So at four months is when we started to do that sleep training. Otherwise, I was going to run somebody over in the car. I was so tired. So now I'm going to go into the three different sleep training methods. Sleep training is teaching a child to self-soothe and fall asleep in his or her own space. And it is an important life skill. Now I'll cover the three different methods so you can decide which of these feels like the best fit for your parenting style and values. The first method is called the extinction method. And your baby must be at least three months old. No two months with this one, must be three months old. The method can be used at bedtime and in the middle of the night. The steps are simple. You do your bedtime routine, you put baby down, and you leave. You have faith that your baby is safe and know your baby will learn to put himself to sleep. You can do this just at bedtime and still be available in the middle of the night, since once baby learns to fall asleep at bedtime, middle of the night will improve quickly. Or you can also use the method in the middle of the night and do just one check-in during the middle of the night. The second method is called the graduated extinction method. This one is a little more involved than the previous method. And for this method, baby has to be at least two months old, and there are three different stages, bedtime, middle of the night, and nap time. It takes baby four to five nights for each stage, but you start each stage two weeks apart. You also can do bedtime and middle of the night together if you choose. So depending on how you implement it, the whole process will take three to five weeks. Now this is the one that we used with all three of ours. Now, of course, with our first, because of his temperament and the way we had created such bad habits on top of it, the process involved a lot of crying for the first two nights. But by the third night, through the end of the first week, the crying was minimal, and he was sleeping three to five hours straight by the end of that first week. Within three weeks, he was sleeping 11 to 12 hours solid every single night. Now, with our twins, because they were both first just really good sleepers naturally, but they also had a very different temperament than their big brother, who any time of day, it would scream his head off if I just tried to put him down for two minutes to go to the bathroom or make a sandwich. And also with the twins, we hadn't set up any of these bad habits because we learned the first time there was absolutely no crying at all once we moved them out of the co-sleeper and into their own room at three months of age and put them down in their cribs awake. It was easy peasy. If you want to learn more about this method along with dream feeding and how that can easily and smoothly get baby switched over to sleeping longer in the middle of the night, you can see the class on infant sleep on our website. And there's also two books that teach the variations of this method. Ferber, who became semi-famous and from whom the term Ferberize Your Baby got coined, as well as Dr. Jody Mendel's book, Sleeping Through the Night. And I don't know if either of these covers dream feeding though. I don't even remember where I learned about that. Um, I know a friend of mine told me about it. It was the most amazing thing ever. The third method is the fading method, and this takes six to seven weeks. For this one, the proponents of this method recommend keeping a sleep log for a week before starting so you can see how things are improving once you start. 
because it's a slow and gradual process and you might get frustrated. So if you have a log, then you could see how much improvement you've had looking back, but it's completely optional. The idea behind this method is to slowly exchange your baby's sleep associations over the next six to seven weeks. This method is also covered in the class on infant sleep on our website. And there's also two authors who cover the method. Elizabeth Pantley wrote the No Cry Sleep Solution and Kim West wrote Good Night Sleep Tight. There are also a few books by an author named Tracy Hogg called Secrets of the Baby Whisperer. And I think her method falls somewhere between the graduated extinction and the fading method. So it might be some kind of hybrid, but I've never read her books. So I'm really not clear on that. But if that sounds interesting to you, be sure to check out her books and see if that's a method that sounds interesting to you. I was hoping to have time to get into a few things about toddlers and bedtime struggles, but the episode is already getting a little long. So I'll have to save that for a different episode. But if you have a specific question about a toddler or even an older child who won't stay in bed or any struggles you're having with bedtimes and nighttimes in any way, please send the question in to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. I'll be sure to create an episode around any questions that come in around toddler sleep. But I do want to answer the question that did come in this week about toddlers and beyond around bedtimes. Our next question is from Tracy in Houston, who has two toddlers and a second grader. Tracy says, putting three kids to bed every night is exhausting. It's always one more thing. I'm hungry. I have to go pee. I forgot my bear. I need a back rub. It's like a three ring circus and not in a good way. How do we put a stop to this? Good question, Tracy. By the time bedtime comes, we adults need and deserve this much needed downtime. So here's the rule I like to recommend around the one more thing conundrum. So the rule is you can either have bedtime is bedtime or everyone gets one pass, literally only one more thing. Okay, so now you're wondering, how do I keep that from turning into two or three or 27 more things, right? What you wanna do is have a talk right before you start this new bedtime rule, basically letting everyone know that bedtime has gotten out of control. You may wanna have the conversation separately for the two and four-year-olds from the eight-year-old and then pare down the message to make it really simple for your toddlers. But now you have a choice of allowing one more thing, literally just one or none, you decide. But then let them know that's the rule from now on and you'll be sticking to it. So say you decide to go with bedtime is bedtime and no more requests will be granted after bedtime, no matter what. You will explain this new rule and explain your circumstances of what will happen if your child gets out of bed. So it would sound something like this. Bedtime has gotten out of hand. So we have a new rule in this house starting tonight. From now on, bedtime is bedtime. Once we, or I, tuck you in and say goodnight, there will be no more requests granted. If you get out of bed after you are tucked in, I will walk you right back to bed. I will not look you in the eye. I will not say a word. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It means it's time to go to sleep. The first two to three nights, maybe a little longer, depending on how bad the habit has gotten in your house, will be pretty rough. But once your kids understand that you mean business and you will stick to your new rule and it's not fun anymore, the behavior will change. So when your child gets out of bed, and they will. They will test your resolve. You will do exactly that. Take your child by the shoulder and walk him or her back to bed with no eye contact and no words. Or you can say one phrase such as, it's bedtime. No matter what your child says, you say nothing or your phrase of choice only. 
You can say it's bedtime five times if you want, but nothing else. That's it. If you look at your child or say anything beyond the simple phrase, you're leaving room or opening up that wormhole. Resist the temptation. Also, no yelling, no matter how frustrated you get. If you yell, your child broke you. If you take your child back to bed 20 times and on time 21, you lose your cool and yell, I told you to stay in bed. You just set a new goal for tomorrow night. And that is 21 times. It reinforces this exact behavior you don't want to see repeated. You've probably heard that negative attention is still attention. So as hard as it can be, grit your teeth. Have a peaceful mantra for yourself that you repeat in your head. Next week, this will all be fixed. Next week, this will all be fixed. Or next week, I will have my evenings. Next week, I will have my evenings back. Repeat it to yourself. Keep yourself calm and don't react. Do whatever it takes to stay the course. Another thing to caution you on is that your child may throw out those requests that pull all your heartstrings, such as, mom, I need a hug, or I love you, mom. These interactions are used to manipulate and try to get you to respond. These little buggers are smart. I learned about this after having this experience myself. So this is why I shared to say things like, it doesn't mean I don't love you, it means it's bedtime, or any phrase, however it feels right for you. But you wanna make it clear that these attempts to crack the door so they can shove their foot in, so to speak, will not work. Lastly, there is one thing that your child should always be allowed to get up for, and that's to use the potty. Depending on the age, they can just get up and go on their own, but if they're potty training, you gotta let them try. It won't last long, especially if you still follow the protocol of walking them to the bathroom in silence with little or no eye contact and just allow them to try and then walk them back to bed. No more goodnight, no more tuck in after that. This way, if it's a ploy for attention, you won't be playing into it and it won't last long, but it still allows the child to use the toilet if he or she really does need to go. Now, to learn more about bedtimes and sleep, you can see our website, yourvillageonline.com, where we have two separate classes, one for infant sleep, which is up to 12 months of age, where I go into much more depth on bedtime routines, sleep training methods, nap time issues related to infant sleep, like frequent night wakings, day-night reversal. And then there's another one for toddlers and beyond, where I cover information and common sleep and bedtime concerns and issues specific to toddlers and older kids, and several methods for dealing with the getting out of bed issue. The one I shared with Nancy is just one out of three or four different ways to handle that issue. So if that one doesn't work or doesn't feel right, there's several other options to to go for. Um, That's just the one that I use that worked really well for us. I'm the no-nonsense kind of mom. Lay down the boundary and follow through. If I do a lot of the other ones, it makes it too easy for them to sneak in for me. I, I don't do as well with those. So yes, so there's several other methods for dealing with the getting out of bed, nap time issues, when to drop naps and how, nightmares, night terrors, and other common sleep issues in these age groups. So if you'd like to see what we have coming up for episodes or submit a question, you can go to yourvillageonline.com slash podcast, or you can also submit feedback and questions at podcast at yourvillageonline.com. In our next episode, I'm going to be sharing some really important information that can save a lot of heartache and pain, and in some cases, even lives. But first, let me share my personal story about how and why I decided this topic really needs to be shared. I took my oldest for his seven-year-old well visit last week. 
his doctor asked him what he likes to do for fun and he said he likes to ride his bike. And his doctor said, what do you always wear when you ride your bike? And my son said, my helmet. And the doctor turned to me and he said, I have a patient in my practice who hit his head while riding his bike and he will never be the same. And that is just so heartbreaking for me to hear. And I can tell him his doctor was heartbroken and he wants to protect all these kids in his practice. And he wants parents to know all these uh, things that are just so important and so preventable. Well, then the other day I was out for a run and I'm running up the hill and this is on the street. And I came up upon three boys who were riding their bikes and I'm running along this one boy riding his bike. He's on the sidewalk. I'm on the road. And I look over and his helmet is literally halfway back his head. And I looked at this boy and I said, you need to have that helmet down over your forehead. And he pulled it down. But the problem is the chin strap was still so loose. It was not going to be very protective if he did happen to fall down. And these boys were riding across big streets and, you know, into sidewalks, into parking lots. It made me say, I really need to teach parents about how to keep their kids safe on their bikes. Between the story from the doctor and then seeing this kid completely unprotected. I'm also a cyclist and there was a lot of problems just in the cycling community of hearing stories about people who didn't have their helmets on properly or weren't wearing them, even worse. And, you know, getting concussions and getting brain injuries. So next week, I'm going to cover the topic of summer safety and I'll cover helmets and other ways to keep our kids safe in the summer and while they're active outdoors. So if this is an episode that interests you or any other parents, I'm strongly, strongly going to encourage you to share this with other parents. I hope that we can keep as many kids safe this summer and ongoing as possible. So now that I'm done with my soapbox about summer safety, and I'm excited to share all of that with you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next time.